You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. And as we've been doing lately with much success, I've been recording like three 10-minute segments or whatever with prominent members of the Locked On Network. We're starting off with the Tennessee Titans tonight. Uh, this is Sunday evening, just to pull back the, the curtain a little bit. So I have Locked On Titans host Terry Lambert with us today. What's going on, man? Crazy game. Crazy game. Uh, not a lot of points, but no. somehow, some way, the Titans are 2-1. and one. Yeah, and which really brings me to my first question. I mean, a lot of us looked at this team as a possible contender, a possible playoff team. And frankly, in my opinion, they haven't played well, well, especially on offense. It's been very disjointed. Let's say it's a work in progress. There's been a lot of injuries on this team. But they're not in bad shape. They've weathered the storm. Yeah, the whole thing was, you know, we looked at this this schedule and you had Houston and Jacksonville and a, a tricky game to start with Miami, What what's turned into a pretty good Dolphins team. Yeah. You got the Eagles next week. So uh, then you throw in these injuries, you know, you got Jack Conklin uh, still recovering from an ACL. You lost Taylor LeLong last week. Then Marcus Mariota gets banged up in week one, has the nerve deal. Uh, so he misses last week. He wasn't even supposed to play today. So oh, right, you're looking exactly. at, uh, yeah, you're you're looking at potentially starting 0 and 4, or, or so we thought. Uh, but I think you have to credit this coaching staff, Mike Vrabel, uh, offensive coordinator Matt Lafleur. They've put together some really nice game plans uh, to kind of offset those injuries. And like I said, somehow, some way, they've found a way to win, and they've really saved this season. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it because it has not been pretty. I mean, preseason wasn't pretty. Little has been pretty, and I'm really high on Vrabel, on LaFleur. But, man, I mean, people got to give these guys a little bit of credit, too. It's not easy getting thrust into a new situation. I mean, every new every new coach was um, winless in the first week. I mean, it's tough taking over a new team. And like you said, I mean, it has not been an easy road. But we may look back at the end of the season and say, wow, this team is much better in November and December than they were to start the year. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. That was, that was one of my takes in the preseason. Uh, we just didn't see this offense really gel. Right. Uh, we didn't see much of them, honestly, in the preseason. They only got a drive uh, per game. They didn't really play deep. Uh, Marcus Mario di- really didn't get a chance to play that much with Corey Davis, Taewon Taylor. Uh, like I said, Jack Conklin's been down. That offensive line still has not played as one whole unit yet. Uh, no Delaney Walker. That's a huge deal. Delaney Walker huge is deal. a huge part of this offense. Uh, so you've got John New Smith taking those snaps now. So it's going to be a process. Uh, thankfully for Titans fans, they've been able to win through this process. So that's not something that we saw coming. Uh, but I, I do think things will get better down the road. Uh, you're not going to see the Titans win nine to six type games uh, for too much longer, uh, assuming Marcus Mariota gets healthy and, and can kind of get some chemistry going in this offense. Yeah, I mean, to me, the Laney Walker is very much Mariota's whoopee. It's a Mr. Mom reference, you know I mean? And... They need Davis to be that whoopee, and he's gotten a lot of targets, and I don't know that he's ready to do that, but I do think his future is very bright, but they need it to be now. And oh, by the way, you're playing the Jags and Jalen Ramsey and Bouye, and um, do you think Davis can be not the number one eventually, but like now? 
I think he already is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I think you're you're getting there. I know the numbers haven't shown that, um, but again, the Titans over the last two weeks have have really been hiding Blaine Gabbert. You know, they they hid Marcus Mariota today because he didn't have feeling in two of his fingers, uh, so they didn't want to push the ball down the field. Uh, but when you see those, you know, trust routes, those out routes, throwing the ball before the receiver breaks, uh, they're throwing all those balls to Davis, uh, and, and mainly that's because. The Titans really don't have anything other than Davis right now. You know, you've got Taewon Taylor, uh, who's coming along. Rashard Matthews missed all of training camp. Uh, I'm not sure he's 100% ready to play. So it's been Corey Davis in in the passing game so far. Again, the numbers aren't there. I think they'll come, though. But it's just going to take Marcus Mariota and Corey Davis just getting time together because they haven't had it yet. Yeah, and frankly, I mean, he didn't start this game. We can't be critical of how he threw the ball. He's If he was 100%, he would have started the game, of course, you know. But that last drive was encouraging. I mean, I know he's struggling out there, but, you know, he, he showed some, you know, moved the ball down the field when he needed to and had some clutch plays. Yeah, that's the thing I don't want people to forget. He was not supposed to play. Right, He literally right. could not feel two of his fingers. Uh, you know, the explanation we got last week was, it was like a guitar string. That nerve was like a good guitar string, and it needs to stop strumming, and it needs to calm down so he can he can feel that that finger again. So uh, it, it was kind of a, a panic mode when when Blaine Gabbert went down with the the head injury today. So uh, for for what he was dealt today, he played great. You know, he he didn't like right, the right. sheet or anything, but uh, he scrambled. Uh, I thought he ran the ball really well. He picked up some key first downs. Uh, and just showed his toughness, you know. Uh, in Tennessee, we we're used to Steve McNair and guys like that, who was Mister Everything. Uh, it was good to see that out of Marcus Mariota, who's been, you know, just I hate to say that, but it's, it's always something so far. It has been. Uh, I'm a big believer, though. Yeah, especially with the injuries. If he can stay healthy, man, we're still big believers down here. Yeah, I don't blame you. And today was very encouraging, and I hope people don't just look at the stats or, you know, boy, I had him on my fantasy team. You know, I mean, he. Got the job done despite not being prepared or able to do so. I mean, that's great. Um, the Titans controlled turnovers, penalties, time of possession, and really struggled with Calais Campbell and a great defense, as every offense is going to against Jacksonville. But all this despite their offensive line really not being dominant from what I saw, and they're fighting through some injuries. And that's kind of the story of the team right now. It's not pretty, but they're getting they're they're getting more than they're given. Yeah, you had Kevin Panfield starting at right tackle. He's a really a guard. Uh, yeah, that's what right. he played through to training camp. Uh, actually, their backup tackle Dennis Kelly has been in the hospital with an illness. Uh, so you're down to a a backup guard playing right tackle. Uh, you know, last week you signed Ty- Tyler Merritt, uh, and he starts at left tackle off the street. Uh, and they go out and they beat the Houston Texans. So hats off to this this oh, yeah. coaching staff. I, I mean, they schemed it up, you know, quick tunnel screens. Uh, run game did just enough. Uh, really short, quick passing games, nothing long developing. You know, that's, that, that's something that this last staff with Mike Malarkey, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have changed much. You know, they never did. They never really adapted. They just ran their stuff, and it ended up biting them. But uh, I, I give a lot of credit to this coaching staff for adapting to their surroundings. Absolutely. I think that's really well said. And uh, the Jags don't like playing this team. I mean, to some degree, the Titans have their number. 
Uh, I think most people think the Jags are the more talented team and the better team right now and went further in the playoffs, but this is not a good matchup for Jacksonville. And once again, we saw Blake Bortles pretty much turn back into a pumpkin. And But let's not discredit the work that the Titans did either. I mean, I didn't think their pass defense was threatened all that much, but they still dominated. I'll tell you, Harold Landry is a huge difference maker. He's really good, um, by the way. Already, yes. yes. Uh, we were thrilled and so confused when he fell to the to the second round. Made no uh, sense at all. It makes me crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and so he's played two games and not many snaps. And in the snaps that he's played, he's gotten pressure. Uh, it just automatic. So that's something the Titans hadn't had since, gosh, uh, Cal Vandenbosch. You know, it, it's been a long time. Right. Uh, so they finally got some speed off the edge. Jarrell Morgan and Arafco are fine, but they're not yeah. like this guy. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think yeah. Harold Landry is a potential game wrecker. Yeah, uh, you're seeing that explosive ability, uh, and Jarrell Casey is just a pro's pro. That dude gets after it every week, and the national media does not give him any love, and Never it's frustrating. It's crazy, but I mean, just a short, stocky guy, and he's making plays in the backfield every single week. Did it again. Uh, Casey and Landry combined, I think, to get those those last two sacks on Bortles to end the game. So, uh, really encouraged by the Titans' front seven. Terry, if you have anything else to tell us about the game, that would be great. If not, please just tell everyone where they can find you in addition to the Locked on Titans podcast. And then I want to tell everyone about The Athletic, who's been a good friend of the show and the whole Locked on Network here for some time. Well, you know, I don't have much else to say about that game. Yeah. Honestly, 9-6. to six. It was not a fun watch, <laughs> but right. Titans, uh, Titans got the W. That's all that matters. So that's kind of their whole season's been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We write for uh, Music City Miracles with SB Nation. Uh, you can find all of our stuff over there, uh, and we also co-host the Locked On Titans podcast, which drops four times a week. Excellent, excellent, and urge all of you Titans fans to check that out, as well as all you fans from the AFC South or Titans upcoming opponents or just fans of football in general. And I mentioned before that we are brought to you by The Athletic. What I need you to do, when I've told you about these guys quite a bit over the last several weeks, is go to theathletic.com slash LockedOnNFL, all lowercase, all one word, and that'll get you 40% off your first year subscription. So you're paying just $2.99 a month. And what you get for $2.99 a month, this is one of the more insane things I've heard in a while, is... All you subscribers will then have access to local and national content with more than 650 new stories published every week across all sports. Their model at The Athletic is very simple. They have no ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay videos. It's a, subscri- a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. I know a lot of their writers, um, Sage Rosenfels, who will be on with us on every Tuesday. To tell you, we'll talk some Vikings with him. Holy smokes about that. Mark Caboli is a good friend of mine. He handles the Steelers. And now they have national writers. A lot of people I know well, too. Jake Glazer, Mike Lombardi. I just got his book a couple of minutes, a couple of weeks ago. Ross Tucker, a good friend of mine. Dane Brugler, all those guys do great work for The Athletic. So what you need to do is go to theathletic.com slash LockedOnNFL. Again, that's all one word, lowercase. That gets you two, down to two ninety nine a month, which is 40% off your subscription. All right, we are back, as is the case with every Sunday night, Monday morning. We are going around the Locked On Network and pulling out some of our best guys to chat with their respective teams about noteworthy things that happened this time in week three. 
This is Kevin Masseri joining us now from Locked On Bills, which was probably the most unpredictable thing that happened in the entire week. They just blew the doors off the Vikings. We all saw that coming, right, Kevin? <laughs> can't even say that the fan base saw that one coming. No. I mean, I can't imagine how many survivor pools crashed and burned today. I, I have to imagine. I, I thought I read something like 25% picked that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's it, was, it was a lot. It was a lot of survival pools in that one. So, um, I have some news or some specific things to ask you about, but just give me a couple general thoughts. I mean, it, it couldn't have went better. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I read it was the third biggest upset in NFL history. Wow. Really? <laughs> I don't really, I don't really know. I think it's just spread and then how margin of victory. I think combination. Um, but yeah, they said because I don't think I think teams were. 0-23 since 2003 with a 16-point spread or more. So um, I just think that McDermott had something to prove. His team is built on culture and buying in, much like their overachieving 9-7 and playoff team last year. No doubt. This roster is actually better, Matt, um, believe it or not. You know, through and through, it's better. The de- defense is built a little bit better. They have a couple of the pieces that they want in place uh, to stop the run, which they did. I think Minnesota attempted a career or a, a league-low six attempts. I think that's the lowest in many, many years. Um, but you just saw a complete game plan inside and out. They acted like this was back to the playoffs for them. They were trying to just have something to prove. Um, and, and Josh Allen was actually just that good in this game. So it was, it, it was just a combination of a couple of things. Yeah, I guess we really need to talk about Allen. And I guess before we do, though, I've been very rough on the Bills. I expected them to be the worst team in the league. I've had them 32 in my power ranks. That doesn't mean I don't like the organization. I mean, I think that they have a distinct plan in place. Uh, There's a lot of Panthers-like organizational beliefs here, which works. And I don't think the common fan realizes Josh Allen and Cam Newton have a lot of similarities. And we're seeing that more and more. I mean, if you ask, if you got a minute with Brandon Bean or Sean McDermott, he would tell you that's what they were looking for okay. um, out of out of their passer. And it, it's exactly what they got today. I think the funny part is you don't know how athletic Josh Allen is. Right. Um, that's the number. You know, everyone knows his arm strength. Everyone knows he's inaccurate, his, his strength, his pros and his cons. But the thing you don't realize, what, what actually helps him is how athletic he is, uh, which is starting to open up some passing lanes. Because quite frankly, uh, if you drop back into coverage or if you blitz him, he, he can make a play. So um, you saw that in full force today. Minnesota I mean, I would, have uh, sorry to interrupt. I mean, I would rather ta- try to tackle Allen than Newton, but... Not by leaps and bounds. <laughs> right. And Newton might be the quarterback in the history of the game I least want to tackle. Right. I mean, that's a good point. Uh, 6'5", 240 is Josh, Josh Allen. He's a monster. You saw him leap skyways above uh, Anthony Barr. Um, I mean, it was just a performance at a, a second career start. You just didn't expect to see a guy that I think had a, a quarterback rating of 111.2 today. So, Yeah, I mean, it's it's more... He, he's, uh, you know, the good and bad with Newton, though. I mean, there's, there's some sure. accuracy issues there. There's some immense talent. And if they can reel him in, and I'm thinking more next year than anything, and mm-hmm. surround him with a quality cast and maximize what he does well and don't ask him to do what he doesn't do well, that'll work. I, I agree. I mean, I think that they're, I mean, another another big friend of Sean McDermott is Kansas City, and I think that they're trying their best to mimic that model with Patrick Mahomes. Um, they're just going to, I mean, they have $100 million. It's something to remember um, oh, in that's the offseason. Yeah. 
Um, they're going to be able to build a couple of key offensive linemen and pretty much be in for Le'Veon Bell or whatever it is that they want to do in the offseason because they're going to have the money to, to pretty much match any any player that they want. Yeah, and I'm in Pittsburgh, so I've talked to Le'Veon Bell more than I want to, trust me. And then it comes <laughs> out today, you know, they the Steelers might consider offers. And I actually thought, I'm like, the Bills, the Jets. I wouldn't be shocked because the they had the money. Right, right. I mean, when it, even a year ago or, you know, months ago, I said the teams that should be interested in Bell, they have to have a lot of money to, quote, you know, have a luxury spot at a running back position. And it would make a lot of sense if they had a young developing quarterback like New York or Buffalo to, you know, lean on Bell. What's funny is, I mean, the Bills would absolutely pay him like a receiver. I know that's kind of how he wants yeah, to be right, paid. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, they, they, I mean, he would just have the keys to the offense. Uh, I think he would like that part of it with a young, you know, a pretty young defense as well. One, you know, really locked down corner. We saw again today in Tredavious White shutting down Stephon Diggs for the entire game. Um, really so that's it's he's he's picked up right where he left off. He had a really good game last week against Keenan Allen. Um, he's by far one of the Bills' best players. So I, th- I think that a couple of key offensive weapons added a key offensive lineman or two, and the Bills are they're trying to build where Kansas City is today. So that's that's kind of uh, the feeling now around Buffalo. Yeah, and again, obviously this team and Allen did a lot of good things, but I also think he you know he got quote lucky a few times. He could have turned the ball over here and there, and that would have yep. changed the flow of things. And the offensive line wasn't phenomenal but that's kind of picking nits to say that was against the vikings in minnesota I mean, it's one of the best defenses in the league yeah exactly i mean definitely some plays you can have back uh, the offensive line actually blew me away with believe it or not how well they played against a really physical and good in minnesota team so there's been some holes on this offensive line. You saw them actually bench Ryan Groy today for Russell Bodine, who actually went down with an injury, uh, and they put back in Ryan Groy. But Bodine, you know, not great in Cincinnati, um, but did do a couple things well. He was okay in pass. He's, he's been rated pretty uh, poor in running. And then you saw a little bit of old Chris Ivory um, show up, and he did a little bit more than Sean McCoy has through the first two weeks. So I think the Bills are really happy with what they got out of um, Chris Ivory. They're very happy with their backup running back situation. So... I wouldn't be shocked to see him if a team was willing to bite in a mid-round pick on LaShawn McCoy at this point. No, yeah, you know, that would be great for them if they could move him considering all things, um, can, you know, with going on with his career, the workload he's had. Maybe a team would take them off their hands, a contender. That would certainly be great. Speaking of a contender, though, I want to get a little bit of your thoughts on the opponent today. Sure. Something I've really been worried about with the Vikings when lumping them with the Rams and the Eagles and the top teams was their offensive line. I mean, I don't think it's a very good group, and it sure seemed like it was problematic for Minnesota today. They got the Rams coming up in a few days. Mm-hmm. Yuck. And I have mixed feelings about Cousins. I thought he played really well the first two weeks, but when things go bad, things go bad for him. And that seemed like that was the case against a Buffalo defense that you said, you know, Tredavious White was great, Jerry Hughes was great, the defense in general was great. But what was your take from both perspectives of, of Bills and Vikes today? Yeah, my, the my, I think first things first, You, I said this on my podcast, uh, I did a solo pod and, and talked about this game and, and brought up a couple of points on why the Bills could win this game. I was like one of the only people to actually point out some positives uh, that could go the Bills way. And one that I noticed was something's going on with Griffin, uh, their defensive end. They, they sat him out. It's something personal they said today, although he had like a slight knee. Um, but 
I don't think this team came to play. I think that was the first and four. They were looking past the Bills 100%. You cannot watch that film again on the All-22 the all and tell me that Minnesota wasn't looking past the Bills. Um, Zimmer went out there and said, we weren't looking past the Bills. They, they obviously killed us. But I think that the, the uh, Vikings offensive line's brutal. Uh, we put it, The Bills put something on paper today that showed that they brought pressure off the edge. The Bills do have a good front four. That's something to remember. Trent oh, Murphy's yeah. came back came back and has actually been pretty good. Kyle Williams actually had a good game. Jerry Hughes was a menace again off the edge. Uh, Luda Laley was, you know, taking up his double gaps. So, and then Matt Milano, a young run uh, or young linebacker, weak side linebacker uh, played just his heart out. Um, and the front, I mean, I think it's, they're going to bring pressure and you know, the bills aren't really known for that, especially under Sean McDermott. Um, but I mean, the, Kirk Cousins could not handle it. I didn't think they looked very good. I was shocked um, how poor they were offensively with those weapons that they have. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. I think there's going to be some up and down games for the Vikes because uh, offensive line play is hard to rely on. Uh, Kevin, we're brought to you by my bookie. I want to tell the audience about them. They've been really good to the whole Locked On Network here these past couple months. Um, do you have anything else to tell the audience about this game? Any nuggets or if not, where can they find you? And then I would tell everyone about my bookie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, lastly, they're already a 10 and a half point underdog against Green Bay and Lambeau. Wow. I just I just wouldn't be shocked to see them do whatever they can to, to have a similar performance. Obviously, Minnesota and Green Bay tied. Um just watch out. I mean, their defense is better. A nugget I can give you is all I can say is their defense is better than their first two losses. They lost Vontae Davis. The next thing you know, they've only allowed nine points in the last next three halves of football since he retired mid gateway through the game. So, the, I mean, the defense is the secondary is one of the best in the league if they can figure out that second cornerback spot. Yeah. So it's a playmaking unit for sure. Absolutely. They, they love what they have in Poyer and Hyde and White. I mean, those mm-hmm. those are three guys that can carry the unit. And they liked what they had out of wavered uh, Ryan Lewis, a guy that New England cut. Um, started him out of nowhere today. And, I mean, by all accounts, you know, he had a tough matchup and did fine. So Tremaine Edmonds is developing and Matt Milano. It's a young, good defense that, I mean, this is what we expected to see. There's going to be some bad lumps with the offense. We all know that. Um, but their defense, if they play like this, they can compete in any football game. Where where can my audience find you? So find me at Kevin Masseri. So M A S S A R E, and obviously at all like the whole Locked On Network at Locked On Bills for sure, for sure. And I urge everyone to check out the podcast. Of course, you probably do already. Um, any of you that listen to my show on Friday, as ever is the case every Friday, I go to mybookie.com and I give you my picks against the spread as well as straight up. And whenever I was talking Bills-Vikes, I said, hey, I'm not taking the Bills. I'm not going to pretend that I did on Friday. But I said, if you're going to give me that many points, I am in because this, as Kevin mentioned, had a, had a chance to be a real letdown game for Minnesota. If you remember, they just came off a tie that they bit and scratched to finally get to and got the luck of a Clay Matthews call against a big-time rival, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And then they went to, now they have to go to the Rams on a super short, or play the Rams on a super short week. So this was a classic NFL letdown game, and that's not taking anything away from the Bills. But if you listen on Friday, that's what I told you, and I hope you put a couple bucks at my bookie and made a few few bucks there. I mean, they've been really good to us, and I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me, and they absolutely have been, as well as the whole network. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have live in-game betting, which I like quite a bit, a newer feature, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and their most rewarding player perks in the business. 
However, because they're so good, my bookie is slammed with new betters right now, and they want to give everyone the best service possible. So if you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, you get 25 free bucks. I mean, that's the best deal in town. So you have to use our promo code locked on 2525 at the end there. And anytime you deposit 100 bucks or more, you'll get $25 off as long as you deposit after 7 o'clock Eastern time. And they still, of course, will match your deposit dollar for dollar as well, too. So vi visit my bookie online today, and don't forget to use our promo code locked on twenty five. And <laughs> I mean, it's it's a no brainer, guys. So wait until after dinner, m make a little bit of extra money. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, we are back. We talked to two other hosts on the Locked On Network, and we're going to finish it up this Sunday evening. It's the first time I've had the pleasure to talk to Patricia Trena. She's one of the hosts on Locked On Giants. Patricia, what is happening? we got to win. Yay, it's about time. <laughs> I tell you, I'm starting to get worried there. I forgot what it was like to experience a win and actually write about a win. Yeah, I can imagine. And I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't see a ton of this game. But I thought that was new, you know, certainly noteworthy to have you on. The you know, Giants have kind of been much maligned. You know, the Houston Texans uh, quarterback Deshaun Watson put up big numbers in this game, but the Giants got a twenty-seven to twenty-two win. Yeah, they did, and uh, you know, they they were full of surprises today. Not only you know with the win, but starting with the offensive line and the benching of Eric Flowers. Right. The right tackle who, you know, of course, made the switch over from left tackle. Um, the Giants decided to pull the plug on that experiment, go with Chad Wheeler. And, uh, you know, Chad Wheeler had some help, obviously, from from the tight end, specifically Red Ellison. But you know what? The, the, uh, the experiment worked because even though J.J. Watt had a couple of pressures, I think he had a couple of sacks, or three sacks, rather, he didn't take over the game. So... So uh, I would say, you know, initially that experiment worked out well for the Giants. And then, of course, you know, Eli Manning went back to looking like vintage Eli, did so with a pr primarily short uh, West Coast type of offensive approach, got the ball out of his hand quickly, did a lot of rollouts away from pressures and had uh, 25. He went 25 of 29 for 297 yards, uh, two touchdowns, and was sacked four times. So a lot of positives and, uh, and Manning quieting a lot of people who said that he was washed up. Yeah, and that's where I was about to go with this was on Friday when I previewed this game, I thought this was the ideal game to lean on your, your stud receiver. You know, let's let the offense go through Odell against some questionable corners, uh, can you protect, though? And the Flowers benching obviously goes hand-in-hand hand with that. And Manning sure looked like he stepped up. Yeah, he did. And, you know, what? Else, I think what else happened uh, that helped the offensive line is they went with quite a few empty backs, backfield sets. And I think that helped simplify the blocking up front because now when you add, you know, another guy coming in behind you when you're not sure exactly where he is, I think that can create – um, some confusion and miscommunication. So they tried to simplify it and, you know, whatever they did, it seemed to work because there were holes to be had for the running game. Eli had, a, had an opportunity to step up into the pocket and the offense functioned the way they, you know, drew it up. Right. Right. And, and 
the other star, I mean, when I say the offense goes through Beckham, it really goes through Beckham and Barkley, and that's a wonderful pair to do so. Very different skill sets, immense talents. And that's nothing to take away from Sterling Shepard, who was impressive today, or Ingram, or even Eli. But Barkley, I kind of thought, showed why he's the second pick in the draft today. Yeah, I mean, not only did he run the ball well, he averaged 4.8 yards per carry, but uh, he had um, he caught all five of his pass targets, and there was one in particular where he lined up split out wide, and he got isolated on a linebacker. And I'll tell you, we saw this during the spring many, many times where he got isolated against a linebacker, and it just was no contest. And when you have that kind of a talent that you can move around into the slot outside from the backfield, you know, in line, et cetera, I mean, th- the possibilities are endless. And, and I got to think Pat Shermer to this day is, is sitting there going, thank you, thank you, good Lord, for giving me a player of Saquon <laughs> yeah. Barkley's talent. No, without question. And I, I think there's a misconception out there nowadays. And I know the analytics people say, you can't draft a running back early in the draft because they're very replaceable pieces. But maybe that's true if you're just handing them the ball behind a blocking line and they get what's given and maybe a little more if you're an upper-end guy. But Barkley, Bell, David Johnson, Gurley, we saw McCaffrey, Kamara. The position has changed dramatically in even like the last two years. And I think Barkley's now the true prototype. I mean, because he's so big and powerful, but he's an amazing receiver. Yeah, you know, you talk about value, you know, people say, oh, you you don't want to take a running back high. But when you look at Barkley, like you said, he's he's an amazing receiver. He creates mismatches. He can also run the ball. He can he can do it all. I mean, I I mean, I wonder if he does windows, because if he does, I have quite a quite a bunch that, you know, in my house that needs some cleaning. But maybe he cooks, uh, too. But that's what that, you know, when you look at, you know, the value of the pick, because he's like multiple players rolled into one, that makes him worthy, I think, of that second round pick, you know, and there's there's really not a whole lot that I don't think this kid can do, you know, at a high level. And uh, he's just been, you know, when they drafted him, I said then and there that that was the best gift they could give to Eli Manning because he hasn't had a guy, you know, a running back like that, you know, not since the days at least of Ahmad Bradshaw and Brandon Jacobs when they used to pound the heck out of the ball and beat up, you know, opposing defenses. But, you know, now you got Barkley who can beat up defenses and who can also, you know, kill them down the field and, you know, do all these, these, you know, pass block, everything you need him to do. I mean, it's just a, he's a godsend. Yeah, and what I looked at this with this offense in the preseason, or in the preseason, and after they took Barkley was I called Eli Manning John Stockton. That we don't need you to do a lot. Just come to the line, be smart, diagnose the coverages because you're going to find something to your liking every time you come to the line of scrimmage when Shepard, Ingram, and especially Barkley and Odell are healthy. And I thought we saw some of that today, that we don't need the protection to be wonderful because I'm going to get it out of my hands. I'm going to distribute the ball like a point guard. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's exactly what he did. I counted, let's see, there's three, six. It looks like he kept, he targeted seven receivers, um, got the ball out to everybody, distributed it nicely. You know, some guys had more than others. You know, Odell had 10 targets, Shepard seven, Barkley five, and, and so on down the line. 
but uh, but you're absolutely right, you know. And and the beauty of it is when you have all these weapons at your disposal, you know, we saw instances in this game where, for example, Odell Beckham wasn't the primary target, but because he was on the field. He drew double coverage, and when you can get, you know, the defense to double up on him, that creates single coverage for somebody else, and that creates opportunities, and they took advantage of those. Yeah, and before we switch to the defense, I just want to ask you, because when a lot of clips that I saw from this game, although a lot of it was against tight ends trying to block him, J.J. Watt looked to be back, and... I know you're not a Texans expert, but the world's a better place when J.J. Watt's playing like he did pre-injuries. He looked like a, a force out there to me today. Yeah, J.J. Watt is an amazing human being. I, I have a lot of respect for him as a humanitarian, as a football player. I mean, just, just you know, if, if the world was filled with J.J. Watts, we would be so much better off, I think. But but you're right. You know, he came into this game. He hadn't had a sack since, I, I believe, 2016. He was hungry, you know, and, and, and he did what, what any leader would do. You know, his 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 team was down 0-2. Um, they desperately needed a win, and he came ready to play, and he put his heart and soul out on the line. Didn't take over the game, like I said, and that's a credit to the Giants. But, you know, J.J. Watt did not go quietly into the line into the night no i think his first three games are very encouraging that he's going to be a force once again um patricia on the other side of the ball you know the giants aren't loaded with star power right now you know i mean i I think that the offseason is going to be dedicated to finding three or four starters over there but damon harrison is an utter rock of consistency of just eliminating interior runs and doesn't get the credit nationally he deserves and overall, although Watson put up big numbers, I thought the Giants' defense played pretty well today. Yeah, they did. You know, your point about Damon Harrison's is, is one I agree with. I mean, coaches tell us that the number one thing they look for the defense to do is to stop the run. And this is what Damon Harrison does. And yet, when it comes time for postseason honors, Pro Bowls and whatnot, he constantly gets overlooked. And I can remember tweeting, you know, oh, I thought coaches said that you have to stop the run. So I can't understand why Damon Harrison isn't getting the credit he deserves. He saw the tweet and he goes, yeah, neither can I. <laughs> so, so funny little story there. But but you know what was interesting is the Texans, for whatever reason, decided to, to attempt a lot of runs up the gut. And they were meeting, you know, Harrison and Dalvin Tomlinson and and uh, B.J. Hill and, and the linebackers, you know, B.J. Goodson, Alec Ogletree were, were stuffing lanes and stuff like that. So there really wasn't a whole lot there. The Texans averaged 3.1 yards per carry. Uh, they went 59 yards, 19 carries. But, you know, certainly a, a significant improvement for the Giants run defense over the first two weeks where they were giving up over 100 yards total uh, on the ground to opponents yeah no question and any other news and notes off the top of your head on this one I mean it's a big win for the Giants that makes them a lot more relative in the big picture as well as the division you know Dallas went down you know we'll see the Eagles now have Wentz back Washington got a big win And, and please tell everyone where they can find you as well sure you can find me on Twitter at at Patricia underscore Traina, T-R-A-I-N-A. My work can be found on Forbes. It could be found on the maven.net slash NY Giants. And I'm also on The Athletic. But uh, to your question about news, uh, any new noteworthy news, we have some injuries that we're going to be watching. Oh. 
tight end, yeah, tight end Evan Ingram had to leave the game. He took a, a shot to the knee. He was seen, you know, trying to walk it off on the sideline. Couldn't get get you know shake off whatever it was, and was spotted after you know after the game with a brace on the knee. So he's going to have an MRI when they get back to New York. And hopefully that's not a serious injury uh, as he is a, a big part of that offense. Um, Damon Harrison, there's a little bit of a mystery regarding what happened with him at the end of the game there, because he was spotted on the bench with his hand, with his head in his hands, looking like he was just really upset about something. And uh, there were some staff around him, but I, I didn't see, you know, necessarily anybody tending to him. So I don't know, he suffered an injury or you know something happened um, Pat Shermer didn't have any answers for that um, after the game so we'll find out tomorrow if something happened there hopefully he's okay but you know that that's a guy you don't want to lose because like I said he's he's just so important against the run and then this week of course they're gonna hopefully get you know Olivier Vernon who has missed you know the first three games of the season with a high ankle sprain um, Eli Apple cornerback get him back from a, a groin strain that he suffered last week. If they can get those two guys back against the Drew Brees-led Saints team next week, uh, that's going to be a big boost for that defense. Oh, without question. Those two would be instrumental and are clearly have been major losses, but boy, Ingram and Harrison would be missed in a big way. Both of them create mismatches in this league in a very unique way and would certainly be losses. We'll keep an eye on that all week. Patricia, thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, all you Locked On fans out there, very much appreciated. Just go to iTunes, leave me a review there. And tomorrow we have Sage Rosenfels. We'll talk some Vikings with him. That was not a good day. And we'll go around and talk quarterback play from around the league in week three as well. So thanks so much and over and out.